Psalm 123 can be found on page 621 of the Bibles on your seats. A song of ascents. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us. For we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. Now, over the summer, a good friend told me about a weekend away they'd spent with their family, Uh, Their family were not Christians, and on the one hand, he said it was just such a nice time to be with them, so nice to spend time together as a family, with wider family. But he also said he left feeling pretty worn down, because the background tone of the weekend was scorn that he's a follower of Jesus. If we've been a Christian any length of time, we'll have felt what it is to experience contempt or scorn for our faith. A number will be receiving A-level results this week. As I think back to being an A-level student, I remember sitting with a friend in the library and them saying, well, how can an intelligent person like you believe in Jesus? Now, clearly he was making a generous assumption about my intellect. But however he meant it, well, it was a put-down. Well, you must, in fact, be an idiot. Or perhaps we felt it in the workplace One worker described sharing his faith in the office, and then one of his colleagues replying, well, I'm so pleased you found something to help you and something that makes you happy. But I'm a strong, independent person, and I simply don't need anything to help me through life. Now, however that was meant, I mean, it came as a fairly patronizing put-down. Contempt and scorn from unbelievers is something Christians across the world experience The charity Open Doors estimates 360 million Christians worldwide experience what they call high levels of persecution or discrimination for their faith. And it's been the experience of those who believe in the promises of God, the Lord God revealed in the Bible, and who live as his people all through the ages. And it was the experience of the psalmist and those journeying with him all together in Psalm 123, thousands of years ago. Verse 3 Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. So we're in Psalm 123. Psalm 123 is the fourth of a group of psalms called the Songs of Ascent. And we've seen in the last few weeks, they're words that are here to keep us going on the journey to the heavenly Jerusalem. Psalm 123 was first written for a journey back from a physical exile to the earthly city of Jerusalem. But the language through the Psalms and and indeed through the whole of this fifth book of the Psalms, well, it far exceeds the historical return to a physical Jerusalem. And then with prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah in mind, they speak of a return from exile to a heavenly city. And so we find these words are words for the Christian to take hold of on our journey through this world to a new creation. A few weeks ago, we saw the psalm in Psalm 121, the journey beginning and the pilgrim looking ahead and seeing the hills 
And considering the hazards, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come. These are dangerous hills in the way on the journey. Well, in Psalm 123, we consider a particular danger of the contempt and scorn of others towards Christians. But we also discover great assurance that the Lord, in his loving commitment to his promises, will keep us and he'll show us how to keep going, even when we feel really weary. And so we have three points this morning. The first is the burden of contempt. And then we'll think about the eye of hope. And thirdly, the certainty of mercy. The burden of contempt, verse 3 and 4 again. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us. For we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. Contempt is to despise. We hear that phrase, contempt of court, when someone behaves in a way that just shows disdain for all the proceedings. To treat a person with contempt is to look down upon them. It's even to hate them. And then added to this is scorn or ridicule, mockery, put-downs, mistreatments. I spoke to a, a school pupil recently. He described how when they speak to another of their friends about Jesus who's quite interested Another friend always interrupts and just says, stop talking about all that stupid stuff. I read this week of a family in a South Asian country whose neighbours and relatives expelled them from the community because of their faith in Jesus. And then their church wonderfully sought to build them a small home, but they didn't have enough money to finish it and put the roof on. And so the community mocked them saying, call out to your God. He will take care of you. Show us that your God's better than ours. And the psalmist says this contempt and scorn, well, it comes from people who are at ease or are proud. First of all, our souls have more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, the contempt of the proud. And here these phrases, well, they actually describe the unbeliever. And it's worth saying, this doesn't mean that everyone who doesn't follow Jesus is especially arrogant in the way they behave. And we'll no doubt think of people we know who are not Christian, and we'd say they were humble and gentle, gentle and far from conceited. It's also not to say that Christians can't be full of themselves. But when the psalmist speaks of the proud, he's using the language of the rejection of the Lord. To resist the Lord our God is the, is the highest act of arrogance. Because the Lord, God, who's made supremely known to us in the person of Jesus, is the creator of all. Every single one of us here this morning. And Jesus Christ is risen today as attested in history. And he is ruler of all. And so to ignore our maker and reject his son, who he's exalted king over the world. Well, that's the ultimate expression of pride. It's like growing up in a loving home and our parents give us all the good things we need and they love us and they look after us. And then we refuse ever to speak to them and we refuse to acknowledge them and we live like we did it all ourselves. It's the attitude the Bible calls sin. An early church leader, St. Augustine, said that pride is the start of every sin. And he said it because at its heart is to exalt ourselves above our maker rather than humbly submit to him. And so the psalmist speaks of the contempt of the proud. And then he describes the scorn of those who are at ease. And it's intriguing language, isn't it? Those who are at ease. What does he mean by that? I mean, these people are lined up with the proud. They're against God's people. And yet, the language develops the picture. 
In fact, it's a word used to describe one of the Assyrian armies of the king Sennacherib, and he launched a siege on Jerusalem, and he was there full of self-confidence, gloating at the walls, a sense of power and establishment. It's the person who finds no resistance in the world around them to their way of life. They have a safe position in the established context of the time. Society will back them. They've got grip on power and influence, or at least they've lined up with those who do. And so as they settle in rebellion to their maker, well, they look down on the follower of Jesus. How pointless to invest in that. How weak to need it. How obnoxious or offensive even that you believe those things. I was reading a book over the summer, a biography of the 18th century preacher George Whitfield, and early on in his ministry, and conveniently early on in the book, one of his supporters, Lady Huntington, wrote to the Duchess of Buckingham to invite her to come and hear him preach. And this is how the Duchess replied. It's monstrous to be told that you have a heart as sinful as the common wretches that crawl the earth. This is highly offensive and insulting. I cannot but wonder that your ladyship should relish any sentiment so much at variance with high rank and good breeding. The scorn of those at ease. And then as it happens, the Duchess of Buckingham's reply goes on, and if nothing else, this is just an insight into 18th century etiquette, because having poured out such scorn, she then writes, I shall be most happy to accept your kind offer of accompanying you to hear your favourite preacher. (laughs) I mean, perhaps the modern paraphrase might be something more like this. I'll go with you because I'm a great one, but I think you're mad to believe this and I want you to know it. And here in the psalm, we find the believer facing no end of contempt or scorn. Our soul has had more than enough. We've had more than enough of contempt. And perhaps we find this in personal relationships, the ongoing interaction with a family or neighbours or colleagues or a community. I was chatting to Rob Scott earlier who um, does some of our work in the uh, East End amongst Muslim people, and he spoke of Muslim background believers he know who describe just the common experience of ongoing rudeness from the community towards them. And we may feel it collectively in what one, of, one writer calls the mood music of our society. It's just constantly there in the background, in the media. The proud and the ease have a powerful outlet in TV shows and articles and podcasts, And they can often present Christians as weird or outdated or even dangerous. And of course, those that are ease in power in some nations in the world have the power to apply severe pressure, persecution and discrimination. And like the psalmist, at times it can wear us down and it can make us weary on the journey. And it might even tempt us to give up the pilgrimage to the heavenly city. We've had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough. But if this burden of contempt is a danger on our journey, well, this psalm is written to keep us going despite the danger. And this is our second point. We're to open the eye of hope. Verse 1. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant look to the hand of their mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God, till he has mercy upon us. This mini-series through the summer on the Songs of Ascent has been called the Ultimate Road Trip Playlist. 
And trying to think of a title for this particular psalm, I did a bit of research and came across a song by a group called the Flamingos from the 1950s. Has anybody come across them? A few nods, a few nods. They have a song called I Only Have Eyes For You. So perhaps that's a title. But in preparing, I found out that a lot of the older writers refer to this psalm with a Latin phrase, oculus sperans, which means the eye of hope. And so perhaps if you're trying to remember what was happening this morning over lunch, well, a phrase you could think of that will help you come back to this could be the eye of hope, oculus sperans, the eye of hope. Because all through this psalm, the psalmist is calling us to look with our eye and fix it on an unshakable hope of deliverance. We're very used to that idea, aren't we, of looking to someone for help. It's a phrase we use all the time. A child looks to the parents. We look to management in the workplace. If you're into superheroes, Metropolis looks to Superman. In our society, whatever the issue, it seems our knee-jerk reaction is to look to government. Well, as Christians facing the weariness of contempt and scorn, we're to look in one place alone. First one, to you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. The psalmist starts this psalm, if you like, by showing us collectively, by his personal example, to you I lift up my eyes, an individual action. As we all face the burden of contempt and may do so collectively, There's a personal action for us to lift up our eyes. And we don't just lift them anywhere. Back in Psalm 121, the psalmist lifted up his eyes to the hills. And it seemed a bit like a look of despair. The journey lay ahead. The path was full of threat and danger. When we're burdened and wearied by contempt or scorn, it may be that our eyes can only fix on the trials and we can feel it's all too much. We feel the temptation to give up. Our souls had more than enough. As the 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon so wonderfully puts it, here, the psalmist looks not to the hills, but to the God of the hills. He shifts his eyes off those who are poor in contempt onto the one who's enthroned in the heavens. O you who are enthroned in the heavens, oculus sperans, the eye of hope. That's what the psalmist wants to teach us. And he wants us to look to God and to sing this song, to say it to him, I look to you. You could imagine it being sung by a whole group of pilgrims on the journey, reminding each other where to fix their eyes. But of course it sounds so simple, doesn't it? But it's not easy to do. We'll need to determine to do this. Spurgeon puts it again so well, we must use our eyes with resolution For they'll not go upward to the Lord of themselves, but they incline to look downwards or inwards or anywhere but to the Lord. And there'll be times when we need to lift up our eyes and help one another do it. One uh, Puritan pastor counsels us to read to one another of the great truths of the Lord that we might help one another lift up our eyes. And here we're reminding ourselves... And we're reading to one another. We're reminding one another that our God is enthroned in the heavens. Because for the Christian, the one who loves us is the one who rules above all powers and all authorities. In the book of Revelation, chapters 4 and 5, we get a glimpse into the throne of heaven. And what we see there is the Lord God Almighty on the throne, creator, ruler, and king in all his glory. And then at his right hand, the Lion of Judah, 
the Lamb who was slain, the Lord Jesus Christ, exalted and reigning and overseeing all the events of history with all authority. Our God is enthroned in the heavens. And as we see this, well, it starts to put opposition in perspective. The proud and at ease, well, they look strong and powerful. They've got influence in the media. They have platforms to promote ideas. They may have government. They may have armies. They may be community leaders. But what a difference when our eyes are fixed on the one enthroned in the heavens, to whom everyone will be called in account to judgment. He's the creator with all power to help and deliver. Power that so vastly exceeds that of the opponent that it's almost laughable. It's the ultimate, my dad, is bigger than your dad. And with our eyes looking to God, as one writer puts it, we can begin to believe that those who oppose us are nothing compared with the Lord who's enthroned in heaven. And as we gain this perspective, well, we gain it as we fix our eyes on him. And so what does it look like to fix our eyes? Well, verse 2 tells us, Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. You can imagine the image, can't you, of the servant, eyes fixed on the hand of their master, the hand from which instructions come and from which provision comes. It's a picture of patient dependence, humble submission. The servant can't make a demand of his master, but the servant asks and waits, eyes fixed on the hand, trusting and expectant and patiently waiting for all his needs to be met. And then the image is repeated, the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress. And when Psalms repeat like this, it's to emphasize the point, to get us to really think about it from angle after angle, and to see that this is for all of us. This is to have the eye of hope, the eye which looks to the Lord with a humble heart, depending on him alone, and confident in him alone. I mentioned my chat with Rob earlier about believers in the Saleti community, and He described their ongoing, persevering dependence on the Lord, continuing to live for him because eyes are again and again lifted up from those who scorn to the good and loving master enthroned and entrusting themselves to his care and entrusting with confidence because the one enthroned in heaven will have mercy on his people. And this is our third point, the certainty of mercy. Verse 2 ends, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. And did you notice how the very heart of this psalm focuses on God's mercy? Verse 2 is a statement of confidence, till he has mercy upon us. And then it leads to a dependent cry. Verse 3, have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us. See, mercy can't be earned, mercy is given. And to receive mercy is to be spared, not because we deserve it, but out of the kindness of the one who shows mercy. And it's at this point in the psalm when the focus is on God's mercy and its certainty that the psalmist then uses his name, of the name of God, the Lord. Do you see that there? The Lord. That word in capitals is the, where the Hebrew word Yahweh is found. Yahweh is God's covenant name. The Lord God is the God who made promises. And not only is the promise-making God, but he's the promise-keeping God. And his promise is a promise of mercy for all who come to him. 
The psalmist would have known the great declaration of the Lord's name found in the book of Exodus, where God revealed himself to Moses as the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but by who will by no means clear the guilty. The Lord is a God of mercy, and he's made a promise of mercy, and it's accomplished in his gospel of mercy. And so the psalmist instructs the Christian believer, suffering contempt, to look to the Lord who has mercy in his hand with the eyes of hope and to ask for it and to wait. And we know we will receive mercy because we know what the Lord has done. In the person of Jesus Christ, he humbled himself to bear contempt and suffer scorn at the hands of men and women so that his mercy might flow to all who turn to him. And through his life on earth, Jesus Christ suffered ridicule and derision at the hands of the proud and the easy. And he supremely bore contempt at the cross. In Matthew's gospel, he records the two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we'll believe in him. He trusts God, let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I'm the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Jesus is the perfect example of the one who looks to the Lord as the eyes of a servant look to the hand of their master. And we said um, some words earlier together from 1 Peter. Elsewhere in 1 Peter, we read, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And yet even more than an example, as Jesus endured this contempt and scorn, he died on the cross to pay the price for the times we have treated him with contempt. And scorn, so that mercy would flow as God has promised to all who turn to Him. So, when we look to the Lord with the eye of hope, well, we know He'll have mercy on us because He already has. And the cross assures us of His unshakable, unquenchable mercy. It may well be that then, as we wait on Him, We experience what we might call mini deliverances as times of contempt or scorn subside or people move on. That family in South Asia then received help from other Christians to finish their new home. The neighbours who'd mocked them, but God had done exactly what he suggested he couldn't do. But we also know as followers of Jesus that contempt will come and it will come again. Jesus suffered scorn and contempt in this world as it resisted him. And so his people will face the same scorn he did. You do not belong to the world, says Jesus, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. But Jesus' people know his mercy poured out of the cross. And because his mercy flows to those who come to him, we know contempt will one day fully end because he's prepared a place for us in the heavenly Jerusalem where all scorn and contempt will be removed forever. So I wonder if this psalm can help us not only as we endure contempt 
But as I've been reflecting, I wonder if it can help us in a, grow in a willingness to live for Jesus in such a way that contempt may come. Perhaps it's the fear of scorn that holds us back because we think, well, how will we endure it? What if it's family or friends or neighbours or colleagues or our community and we have to live among them? And so we may think, well, how could I keep going if that kind of contempt came? And this psalm says we can keep going as we fix our eyes on the Lord, the eye of hope, because his mercy is more. Or it may be that we're here this morning and we've not yet turned to Jesus, but we kind of want to, but the fear of scorn is what's holding us back. Well, Psalm 123 points our eyes ultimately to the cross, where we see the Lord's mercy poured out in the work of Jesus Christ. Mercy, which means we won't face the just and terrible judgment our sin deserves, and mercy that assures us that our Lord, our Master, our Father will deliver us. What keeps us going in the face of contempt and scorn? Well, we keep looking to a merciful Lord with the eye of hope until the day when he returns and fully and finally delivers us from scorn or contempt we endure. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the Lord God enthroned in the heavens, ruling above all powers and authorities. Thank you that you are greater than any person or community or regime that treats your people with contempt or scorn. Thank you that you are the Lord who has mercy on your people. Thank you that you poured out your mercy to us through the Lord Jesus in his death on the cross. And thank you that in your mercy you will bring a full and final end to all scorn and contempt that we endure. And so we ask, please help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, that we might keep going in the journey. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.